I pivoted and I threw color in everywhere because that is my go-to if I can help it. And I made every single scene, I gave every scene its own colors, uh, its own color and then built the rest out around that. And it just became alive. Like it was, it was just one of those insane things where it's like, I went really hard one direction, pivoted and went entirely back the other and it just worked so much better. And so that was the lesson I learned from that is go for it. Don't be afraid to go for it. Be willing to pivot when it doesn't work. Hey everyone, it's your host Zenya. Welcome back to Chasing Artists, where we get to chat with artists and creatives from all walks of life, hearing their journeys of what got them where they are today. But before we dive into today's episode, just a quick reminder to please subscribe to the show. Whether you are listening on iTunes, Spotify, Audible, Google Play, press that subscribe button so you can stay up to date on episodes. I'm so excited for you to be joining me wherever you are listening. Thank you so much for tuning in every single week to Chasing Artists. Today, we're chatting with Will Kerr about lighting design before, during, and after pandemic life. Hi, Will. Thank you so much for being here. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. So I like to start each episode with how my guests and I know each other. Um, And we go way back to my college days. (laughs) Um, You were actually a professor uh, at the college that I transferred into. So that's how we met. Mm-hmm. You're one of my better students, for sure. <laughs> Thank you. I remember um, one of our first, well, I remember first meeting you. It was like before term even started and you and Sully were with Karen or something. And we just like randomly like met on the sidewalk. Um, but I also remember one of my first interactions with you was uh, helping you rig lighting for Sweet Charity for like those tech hours, getting those tech hours in. <laughs> Yeah, that was uh that was a heck of a show. That was a lot of a lot of curveballs and we we managed to knock it out. So it was great. Yeah. And we worked on a good amount of shows together. I was thinking about that. Like probably almost all, if not all of the ones I worked on, I think you were on as well. Well, you know, I was lighting designer and production manager. So it is just like I was always around doing something or other. So yeah, definitely. So, Will, what brought you to theater arts in the first place? So I was actually one of those, like, I come from a really small town, um, one of those farming communities, uh, and I was a really, really shy kid uh, in my shell. I'm an only child, and I lived out in the country. The nearest kid was, like, several miles away from me, so I, I really didn't have a way to be outward to people. So uh, I got brought in by there was a substitute teacher that actually ran our drama program because we didn't have like one of those official uh, drama teachers or anything like that. We had a substitute that kind of took on the directing of the two shows we did a year, one in each semester. And he got me to come in on the uh, uh, non-musical and uh, cast me as poor man in Don Juan. And I had like three lines, but I got to watch everything. I got to watch the whole process and I just saw everybody having fun. And it was a lot of my friends having fun. And so I just like, it's like this, I like this. And so I kept, you know, I, I did musicals. I, I did the musicals. I did the non-musicals. I basically did every show 
um, starting my freshman year, I did every single show. So I missed the first musical and then did every show after that uh, and decided along the way that that was what I wanted to do. And I have uh, Sean Whitaker to thank for that, my old substitute drama teacher. So that's awesome. I didn't know that you performed like you started out on stage. That's awesome. Yeah, I was actually a directing focus going into college because we didn't have tech uh, mm-hmm. at my school. My lighting, I, I tell this story a lot. My lighting uh, equipment in my school was we had light bulbs, two rows of light bulbs above us. Um, and there were two wheels on the stage left wall and one dimmed the stage left side of light bulbs and the other dimmed the stage <laughs> right side of light bulbs. And that was it. So I didn't know what lighting design was until I got to college. So Yeah, for sure. Where did you go to college again? Southern Illinois University, the one down in Carbondale. Cool, cool, cool. Did you, so you were on a directing track. That's mm-hmm. interesting. I love that. What made you switch to lighting design? Uh, it was it was a combination of um, one, just getting exposed to it for the first time. And there was, I, I've always been a computer guy uh, and there was all this technology uh, involved in lighting design. Like they basically said lighting is theater, but with computers. And it was, I was pretty sold just off that. And then it was just way easier, you know, as an undergrad, you know, a lot of people want to direct, but you know, I went to, uh, Southern has a grad program. So there were graduate directors and there were undergrad upperclassmen undergrads. And so the opportunity to even start directing wasn't going to come for, two or three years. And so part of it was also just accessibility to get to where I wanted to be faster and I could start designing within the next year. So, yeah, I hear that. And you went to grad school as well, right? For lighting design. Yeah. I went to Western Illinois university for, to get my MFA. Nice. I love that. What are some of the parallels and perpendiculars, I'm going to use that word, um, between going to school for lighting design and then working on shows outside of an academic bubble? I I think it really comes down to uh, efficiency. Like everyone's, it doesn't matter if you're in academia or you're in the professional world, more often than not, everybody is trying their best. And it just comes down to how efficient they're able to be. Because in in, uh, the academia, whether I was the the grad student mentor or the faculty or just the undergrad, uh, it was always, okay, we're trying, but we can only go so fast because we only know how to do it. We've only been doing it for like five minutes. And then I graduated and I, I uh, was hired on as the lighting apprentice at the Fulton Theater in Lancaster, Pennsylvania. And it was just me and the master electrician. And then we occasionally bring the sound guys in to help us on the big hangs and stuff, which was another two people. Uh, but we went from like, I went from, okay, well, we've got three, uh, three to four grad students. And then the like four or five of us undergrads that are interested in lighting, all working together, trying to do this one show. And it's like, 200 lights and we're trying to do and we're giving ourselves like a week to two weeks to try to get that all up in the air and ready to go uh to myself and my boss and then maybe these two other guys uh hanging 400 plus lights in the course of two days and it like it was just and we were able to do it and it was just the the fact that we were just more efficient we knew what we needed to do we knew how to do it and it was just there was no needing to like ask the question like okay well what do i do next it was we knew what needed to happen and we were able to just knock it out of the park and there's nothing wrong with the academic side 
uh, like, and that's the thing is like the students need, my biggest thing as a teacher is students need to be able to fail. Um, and, and that you learn. So the reason I was able to be so efficient is because I failed a bunch in undergrad. I, you know, I made mistakes and we had to take the time to go back and fix it so that when I was working professionally and I was being paid for it, I wouldn't make those mistakes then. Yeah. Learning how to fail and being okay failing and, and learning how to pivot is so vital. Mm-hmm. Totally just lost my train of thought. It's fine. <laughs> um, so do you want to talk about what brought you to teaching lighting design? Uh, so just going in um, as a directing focus in college, the goal was, so I, you know, I, I shouted out to my uh, substitute teacher, Sean Whitaker, the, what he brought out in me was so powerful to me that it was exactly what I wanted to do. Like I wanted to be the person that could bring that out in the next kid. So the original intention was to, to teach high school um, and go in as a directing focus, get that, maybe get a, a secondary education double major. Like I was a history ed double major at first. Um, so I could get on at any school, whether they had a theater teacher or not. Um, and do that with uh, kids. And I did the history ed double major and I wasn't really digging the classes and I was really enjoying my colleagues in college, like the, uh, my, my peers, the other students and the faculty and the relationship that we had together. Um, and I just thought to myself that like high schoolers suck. <laughs> <laughs> like they're great in some ways, but in a lot of ways they sucked. So it's just like, I decided that that's what I want to do. So then I, I changed my thought process. I dropped the history ed double major and decided I'm going to get an MFA because I want to teach college. And that's what you needed. And that's mm-hmm. what you need now. And that's what you needed then. So, and then I became lighting design and it became a little easier. So, yeah. Was North central your first teaching gig? Uh, yeah. My first, uh, my first one out of grad school, I actually had, um, I had two offers. Uh, it was North central came kind of out of the blue. Uh, and I also had an offer. Um, I, I don't know. I don't know if I'm allowed to say exactly, <laughs> exactly stuff like that. So let's just say a university in Kentucky. Okay. Um, where I had a full-time position offer versus the halftime position that I got at North central. But the reality is, is that my girlfriend now wife uh, lived, lived in Chicago, worked in Chicago, um, and I was planning on proposing that upcoming year. So I was like, it'd be really awesome if I didn't have to propose <laughs> while living. <laughs> like, I think that drive is eight or nine hours. Um, Oof. Yeah. So it was like that kind of North central, I got the offer from the Kentucky, the university that was in Kentucky and, uh, on my way to my car, I had a voicemail from, uh, Karen Silkitis, who was head of North Central at the time, offering me an interview. And we quickly, I got, she quickly brought me in. Uh, I did a like insane 24 hour turnaround because I was working in Carbondale on a summer stock. We were doing into the woods. I drove, I left at 8 p.m. to go to Chicago. It's about a six hour, five, six hour drive. Uh, Came in that morning, did the did the demo, um, left, 
at like 2 p.m. and got back or like 1 p.m. and got back just as they were starting the designer run for Into the Woods. Oh, my and God. I was just on like no sleep. And because I didn't get to Chicago till like two. Yeah. And it was just like I was on no sleep, but I managed to make it through and it all it all worked out in the end. So. Right. All those uh, long tech days <laughs> yep. setting you up for that. Yep. There's an endurance to it. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. How long were our tech days? I'm trying to think. They were we 10 hours? 10 out of 12. We did the standard 10 okay. out of 12 that is starting. The industry has shifted and that is changing. And I, I will, I'm not too proud to admit that I uh, was one of the ones that fought against it. But I, I attended all the conferences this summer that like USITT was putting on the webinars saying like, here's the research. It's actually, a, you're just as efficient, if not more so. Uh, lowering your hours and so mm-hmm. if I'd had all that before North Central I would have that's how we would have ran things but yeah we did the 10 out of 12s on the weekends and then went into the four to five hour tech nights so so what is it now uh now it's at at the maximum an eight out of ten or okay. or less it's trying to reduce it down to like three hour shifts four hour shifts and uh no more than that and then go to like the four hour rehearsals per night and also getting rid of even before tech, uh, going down to a five day rehearsal week. Oh, interesting. Actually give people weekends. (laughs) I know. It's like when you're in the arts, like you have no life outside of the arts. (laughs) Not at all. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. I, I loved our, um, just like our department's running joke of how Tuesday of tech would like, everything that could possibly go wrong would go wrong on Tuesday of tech. And it was just like the biggest shit show ever. And then it would all be fine. But yeah, panic on Tuesday. The first time you're trying to get costumes to go without like, like super anal retentive, super. So, and then that's why everything's just like, all the elements are now there and you're like, Oh no, (laughs) it's all going sideways. And it's, it's funny too, because it's like, we all know this going into it. And then we're just like, panic. Yep. It's every time just about. So you are now at another school in Iowa, right? Mm -hmm. I teach it. I'm the resident lighting designer and production manager for Iowa state university. So fancy. Um, what, what brought you there and how long have you been there again? Uh, this is the start of my third year. So I've actually been here for a little bit now, um, but I haven't had one full normal year yet uh, because I started and my first spring semester was the beginning of the pandemic. So somewhere down the road, I might have one complete year that's just unaffected by anything, but not yet. Uh, What brought me here was basically... Uh, North Central was a oh, was a temporary gig with a full time position going to be hired, and you know it's a I I hold no hard feelings towards North Central or uh, the administration there. It was a tenure track full time design position at a Chicago based school. It drew some pretty big fish. Um, I actually knew some of the candidates that ended up making it to like the final three and stuff, and they'd been teaching for. 20 years, you know, and they had like giant resumes. And so I, it's just one of those things where I'm really, I'm really happy and I'm really honored that I got to be there at all. And I got to kind of cut my teeth in my teaching career at North Central and, and not at all upset uh, how that all played out, but I needed to find 
another gig. So I started looking around everywhere. And this is, I'm actually not faculty here. I'm, I'm staff technically, um, which a lot of people would think is a downside, but I kind of looked at it and it meant uh, what I discovered at North Central was my favorite part really was the mentoring of students and not so much the teaching of classes. I like teaching class, um, but I feel I can teach a lot more in a shop. Mm-hmm. And so this position showed up and it was basically everything that I'd been doing in grad school where I run the shop and I teach a class a semester. And otherwise I, I'm just mentoring students outside of that. And I'm running the, I'm running the productions and managing the productions and everything like that. And it sounded like a really good idea. And it just so happened that, uh, so this is in Ames, Iowa, Ankeny, Iowa, about 20 minutes South is where my sister-in-law and her, uh, my wife's sister and her husband live. And so it was one of those things. It's like, okay, this job sounds like exactly what I want. It, the pay is decent. Um, and it's, we have family there. Uh, so we'll have a support system. And it just, I, I just kind of went for it and I ended up getting it. And it was just one of those, like, well, I guess now we're moving to Iowa, which was, extra crazy because my wife and I were at that point engaged and planning to get married that following September. So oh my God. <laughs> I did my first, I taught my first class here. Uh, I came for a prep week before classes started, met the faculty, met everybody and did a retreat and all that. Went to my first class, uh, the first week of classes and then promptly left the state. <laughs> for <laughs> for the rest of the week and nobody saw me and nobody knew who I was because uh, none of the students knew who I was because I literally disappeared. The only thing they knew about me was the new guys getting married. Like that's, <laughs> and I, I left and we got married that weekend. And then I came, I came right back and <laughs> my wife wasn't able to come back with me right away. So it was, uh, it actually, the funny thing was, is if it wasn't for the pandemic because of contracts that we already had set up and everything like summer stock and pre-existing things, my wife and I would have spent, uh, our first year of marriage apart more than we would have spent it together. Oh, wow. Uh, but because of the pandemic, the summer we got to spend together that we wouldn't have gotten to spend otherwise. So, but we, for the first like six months, I think we spent maybe two of it together. <laughs> wow. Um, so, yeah, I mean, that's the life of theater, right? Because we're both in yeah. theater. So it's... That's She's a stage manager, right? Stage manager and production manager. Yeah. Cool, cool, cool. Nice. Can you talk a little bit more about how you approach mentoring students versus teaching a class? Yeah. So uh, when it comes down to teaching the class, like I'm really... It really just comes down to, okay, these are the facts that I need to get across um, but we don't, you know, there's nothing, I, I just have examples or stories off the top of my head that I can throw out there, metaphors, stuff like that. And so I try to structure it in a way that I think they'll be able to retain it. But I mean, as someone who was a student and knowing a lot of students, I know that a lot of the class stuff, it, it, you retain what you can, but a lot of it goes away. Um, what I, what I take with mentoring is that what I try to go with with mentoring is it's the same. We're going to do the same thing over and over and over again. I have to get X amount of information given to you in a class, but in a mentoring situation, like a shop, it's like, okay, well, we're cabling today or we're hanging a bunch of lights today. 
next day. Okay, we're cabling today or hanging a bunch of lights today. And then that's what I, the thing I found when I left undergrad and was working professionally, I had a lot of deficits, um, not because of my undergrad, they're a fantastic program, but uh, I had a lot of deficits uh, in certain things like wiring. I was not a very, I wasn't very strong at wiring practicals together. Uh, and then one of my very first assignments at my job in Pennsylvania was, okay, we're doing gypsy and I need this sign that says gypsy Rose Lee wired together in this very distinct way. He needed it like gypsy was going to be one circuit and, uh, Lee was going to be a second circuit. And then Rose, each letter of Rose was three individual circuits, for a total of 14 and he needed all of that wired together. And I was like, but I'm not, the, uh, I'm going to be honest with you, man. I'm not the strongest at wiring. And he's like, well, you're going to be at the end of this. And he's yeah. right. And now I'm super strong at wiring because I just sat there for two days and cause it was 400 sockets. It was 400 oh, wow. light bulbs that had to be. Uh, and that was not the last sign like that, that year. So it was by the time I got through that one um, and the other ones, like, I knew it. And I realized, oh, this is what, and maybe that's like the difference between, that's one of the other differences and why efficiency is so much higher in professional is like, you don't get a chance to really drill it. Um, some programs manage to, to work it into the curriculum, but a lot of times, especially in a generalist program, like a BA, uh, you don't get a chance to really drill it into your brain and like rinse and repeat repetition and all that. And that's what's I, at least for me, I found, oh, now I'm like, I was here and I'm down here and now I'm up here uh, as a technician and even as a designer, because I just got to keep doing it over and over again. And I didn't have anything else distracting me besides this task. Mm -hmm. How do you approach first designing for a show? Like what's your, what's the first thing you do? Well, obviously read the script. Right. So that's the, the obvious answer. The ha. Huh. Um, <laughs> but I, for me, it's, I mean, that's a great question. It's uh, kind of a mix of imagining what's going to happen uh, blocking wise and then uh, talking with the director and figuring out what they're going to do if they have an idea, but knowing that they're probably going to change it. I really like, and lighting design is an interesting one, um, an interesting area in all the designs. Like you can double dip in your designs in all areas uh, and have multiple going at once. But because lighting design really is like you could, and I know, I know you can because I know people who have scheduled their lives this way. You really need to dedicate two weeks of physical time on a show. Like you have to do prep work. There's all kinds of drafting you have to do, but you can do that in the wee hours of the night and like run yourself ragged a little bit. But you really only have to dedicate like two weeks, a day, uh, a week to focus and a week and program and a week to actually like do tech and performance opening performances. Um, and so you can have all the I've had, I think the most I've ever had at once. And this is pretty low for a lot of people I know is like seven or eight shows all all going to happen within the, within a four month period mm. so i'm like balancing all of them at once my the major part of my design process comes into the designer run 
mm-hmm. uh, which is pretty late in the process to, to really, and I hope I'm not giving people the wrong idea about what you should do or anything. But for me personally, it's like, I just seeing it in front of me sets off every, uh, for lack of a better term, light bulb in my head, right? <laughs> like it just, like my synapses start firing. I start thinking about all the possibilities and, oh, that would be cool. And I want to like you here. And what if we did this? And what if they were over there? And I can talk to the director about that. But it really like, and I could get that from going into earlier rehearsals and start working a little earlier, but there's just something about the flow of a straight run through, even if it's a stumble stop, um, cause they're just getting off book or whatever, but like that straight run through and then being able to go home and I draft, like, I will draft the entire plot, like within 48 hours of that. And usually I draft the whole plot in about six, uh, maybe eight hours, depending on the size of the show. But within 48 hours of seeing that run is when I do that six to eight hours. Cause it's just like, I'm inspired by it. Mm-hmm. That makes total sense. So let's jump to talking about how the pandemic made you shift and you just designed this entire system for live streaming shows. That's so cool. Yeah, it was. So it was really intense. We didn't have. um, So the guy I took over for ran a really, really great department for 25 years. He was here for 25 years. He ran a really great department. Um but he hadn't upgraded anything. So when I got here, I got a little, uh, I got a little room to spend some money because they're like, it's lighting's turn. Um, and this is a great time to do it. We got a new guy. We'll, we'll get whatever we need to get to get ourselves on par. So we had purchased both right before the pandemic, we had purchased a bunch of new lighting equipment, which was super vital in having us be ready for what we needed. Cause then I bought like a bunch of color changing movers and that just made like, okay, we can do a lot with a little on this. Um, and then the pandemic hit and it was, okay, well, we're probably going to shift to live stream stuff. Like right off the bat, we did everything kind of pre-recorded for the first semester. Um, we pre-recorded some stuff. We even did like a full feature length movie uh, of, we had our own, uh, we've got se- several fantastic playwrights in this program. And uh, one of them put together her own adaptation of uh, Christmas Carol, but made it more Ames, Iowa centric and called it Community Care, Our Community Carol. And we did it as, she's got a film background as well. So we did it as a straight movie. And we actually went around and we had several locations and we were able to do a lot of outdoor stuff. And because we were doing it that way, we were able to keep the number of people in the room down to like six or seven people at any given time. It never got above that um, and did all kinds of green screen stuff. So we did that with normal cameras. Well, then for the spring, we were gearing up as like, we want to do more theatrical style production um, and share it with the world, but we don't want to do just the static camera in the front. Um, And so I'm really big, when I got into grad school, uh, video design was really starting to take off everywhere. And I was able, I was very lucky. My mentor in grad school had a computer science background and he uh, basically just threw me into the deep end of the pool on uh video design for a show and i fell in love with it and it became my secondary focus like so close that it's almost like 
I, I really sometimes waver on which one I like more of video or lighting. Um, lighting always wins, but <laughs> uh, I, I've gotten into video a lot and I, I specialize in QLab specifically um, as a video tool, which a lot of people are going to hear and, and kind of scoff at, and they're not wrong to do that. Um, but it's a very intuitive and very easy to use tool. And I, I don't use it because I don't use it specifically because it's easy to use for me. I use it because it's easy for me to teach someone who's never done any kind of video thing ever, which is not something you can really say of the other softwares available out there, in my opinion. Um, but anyways, uh, so I did a bunch of research and I even got some demo cameras. And basically what I ended up buying was I found, I figured out uh, I could buy these pan tilt zoom cameras, like those little security style cameras, but like higher end ones that were pretty, pretty decent. Um, and they, I got some that worked over a over ethernet and they worked on a concept called HD base T. Um, and I figured out the computer language and it was a lot of, I mean, it was basically, I spent my entire fall and summer researching this idea, but I figured out how to use QLab to communicate um, commands to the camera. So basically all these cameras had a web interface. One of those, like you can log in on the browser and see the camera and you can tell it to zoom in and you can tell it to pan and you can tell it to recall uh, several presets. And uh, this thing had 10 default presets built into it. And I figured out that if you're doing it from the website, you can actually make it whatever, you can make the number whatever you want. So I realized, oh, I could have preset 0.001 all the way to preset 99,000. <laughs> um, so I was like, well, that will, that'll work for theater. That'll, that'll be just great. And I figured out how to use, um, it's called curl. Uh, it's command URL, uh, how to use that and copy the web uh, commands from the web interfaces and then turn that into a QLab command that I could actually fire from QLab. So then I was able to use QLab hooked up to these cameras to not only record presets, but then recall presets. And then I could use uh, OBS, Open Broadcasting Software, I think is what that acronym means. Um, and I could use that to switch between the various cameras. And I could use QLab to fire scenes, pre-made scenes in OBS. So all of it could be controlled because what I was looking for was a solution where I didn't have to run every show myself. Mm -hmm. <laughs> that was the, the goal of it was I could hand it to a student and I could go home and have a drink. That <laughs> was the, the main goal of that whole system. And so we ended up getting, uh, we started with three and it was super successful. So for uh, our musical, we got two more, but we got uh, five of these cameras total eventually and we were doing stuff that no other, uh, no other theater of our, of our size, no other department of our size was trying to do. A lot of them were doing like one to two things from the front. We had, uh, I had two cameras from the booth so I could do a wide shot, but then crossfade to a zoomed in from that same angle. Then we had cameras on the sides coming in. Um, and we eventually, uh, our theater, uh, here in Ames Fisher Theater is a proscenium style and it doesn't lend itself um, to in the round whatsoever. Mm -hmm. 
but we had a, our scenic design professor uh, who'd been here 20 years, had all do in the round. There was just no way to do in the round. Well, now we're in a pandemic and we're not allowed to bring audience in and we have all these cameras. So what we ended up doing was we did songs for a new world in the round, probably the first and only time it will ever happen in this theater. But it was so cool. We had cameras. We had cameras from the front. We had cameras just off stage of the set from all angles. And we even had a camera up in the air pointed straight down to do sky shots. Love and we that. had all of that all of it hooked up and I ran all of these cameras and all of the camera cues for this off of QLab. And I had a, I had a great uh, student, um, Calvin Clark, who was in charge for that show. I had been in charge of it for all other shows, but for that show, because of how in depth we were trying to go with it, he had a broadcasting background as well. He took that on as he was the premier camera cinematographer for it. And he came up with all, the angles and he programmed, I showed him how to program the cues and he ran with it. And that was the goal from the get go is there was going to be a student that could step up and learn it and like it and do it. Um, I think I, he, he learned it and did it. I don't know if he ever liked it, but because <laughs> <laughs> it is, it's a cumbersome process. I'm not going to lie, but we were able to run all of this from one iMac. We were able to run all the video, um, all this like fancy, we ran light cues off of this because it was firing uh, firing light cues connected to the board at the same time. It was firing. We used this to also do, uh, this was the first production that we worked in super titles or well, just captions, live captions. We had the mm -hmm. ASM actually compile the script as a caption script. And then she made a bunch of uh, text cues in QLab that I used OBS to uh, overlay on top of the video. And we had somebody firing that left and right. Um, it was just, it was an insane production, but we were able to do, we had all these angles. We had probably, I think we landed at somewhere around three to 400 camera cues, just different camera angles throughout the 90 minute show um or well not that many we didn't switch that many angles because that'd be like oh we're switching angles every three seconds yeah. but, uh we ended up um with all the like background stuff because you'd fade to one camera and then another camera cue would go to preset the next camera mm -hmm. and by the time you did all of that you were ready for the next cue and it was just like it was tough we even did like uh we hooked up an Apple TV to the system as well. And we did a handy cam with a iPhone on a, a selfie stick essentially, or we've got one of the fancy self-stabilizing camera, uh, camera sticks for it. And uh, even had like handheld camera cues inside the show, all feeding into this that fed into the live stream. And so a lot of theaters were trying a lot of really cool things, but I'm pretty proud to say I think ISU really stepped up the game, at least for the area here. If you compare us to the, even the professional companies in this area and Des Moines and, and Ames and the outlying areas from there, I think we you could make the argument that Iowa State was like top of the class um, and super proud of the students and, and the faculty for coming together and making that sort of thing possible. Yeah, that sounds really just intense and amazing and like so much work. Do you think that 
because there was a lot of uncertainty with the pandemic and, you know, Broadway shutting down, do you think people maybe were a little bit more motivated to work through all of the challenges and and make it happen? Yeah, I do. I really do. There were things, um, because I won't, I, you know, things weren't seamless at all. And like songs for a new world in particular, one of our main cameras ended up needing a like 300 foot run Oh my God. Of Ethernet uh, for us to reach the computer. Um, and it, because it was that long, it like had a little bit of a glitch. Every like 10 or 15 seconds, there'd be a little like quick, super fast glitch. One of those things that like you could get over it if you were willing to. But, you know, normally in theater, we're so perfectionist that you would never fly, right? It, like pre pandemic, it never would have flied. Uh, or flown. Um, and, you know, I, I was way, I was getting down on myself. I was like, Oh God, we got to fix this. We got to make it better. I go to the director. Who's my immediate boss. It was the, it was our chair was directing that one. And I was like, I'm sorry about that. I have ideas how to fix it, but I don't know if we have time to fix it. And he just looked at it. I was like, I think it's fine. <laughs> And I just, I don't like, I like to think that would be the reaction in any situation, but I really do believe that. I think the pandemic was just like, you know what? It's something. Mm -hmm. So who cares? Like it's better than not producing art at all. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So what's next for you? Well, next for me, we've got a, we've got another full season here. We are, uh, it's looking like we're probably gonna, you know, Fingers crossed, we're probably going to try to have some, some minimal live audience again with some pretty, uh, pretty decent restrictions, at least on like audience size so we can spread everybody out. Um, but we've got some fun shows coming up. I'm working, uh, I'm going to be doing the lighting design for a uh, street scene that will be coming out here in November, and in, uh, which is an opera. Uh, and I also have another opera that I'm really excited to get back into. It was actually, I, I was going to leave on a plane for Albuquerque, New Mexico. You might recall, I'd occasionally mm -hmm. leave North Central in the middle of the year to go out there a couple times a year to work with Opera Southwest. Um, I was scheduled to do Traviata and uh, La Traviata and I was about to get on a plane the very next day when the production manager calls me and says, you might hold tight for like an hour, but I think you might want to cancel your plane ticket. Mm -hmm. And it ended up being that like that needed to happen. And the airline gave me flight credit and everything because of the circumstances. But uh, it was good. I did because within the next couple of days, New Mexico was locked down. So I would have been stuck. Yeah. Uh, and they're, they're a great company and very hospitable to me when I'm there and give me room and board and everything for free. Um, but I don't know that my host would have loved me being there for like <laughs> the next six months. Right. Um, so I'm really excited. That one is coming back as well. Um, uh, and it's going to be, uh, that one's coming out in October. So I've got a couple, couple big shows and then we've got some cool stuff. Hopefully I'm hoping my summer stock, uh, I were, I worked at McLeod summer playhouse in Carbondale quite a bit. It's been shut down since the pandemic and I'm hoping that it'll come back, um, in next summer and I'll be able to do that. But otherwise I'll, 
find other summer stocks because I personally love it or hate it. I love summer stocks. So mm-hmm. I love the connections I make there. So, and the people I meet. So, yeah. Okay. So before we jump to final five speed round, is there anything that I didn't ask about that you want to share? Uh, I feel like just, and I, uh, for anybody that's interested there, you were going to ask me about like what my inspirations were when I was, uh, younger. And, um, it was, I've never really been the kind of person to just have something like that nailed down. But in, in, when it comes to lighting design, I really, I really truly do. I got to one of the first major productions. Cause again, small farm town kid, right. One of the first major productions I ever got to see, my mom took me to Chicago uh, to see the Broadway in Chicago uh, pre-Broadway production of Adam's Family with Nathan Lane and B.B. Newworth. And I went and saw that. Um, fantastic. Uh, I know they made a bunch of changes before they took it to Broadway. I thought it was great personally before with before the tweaks. But what really struck me, and I didn't even realize how much it had affected me until years later, and I was thinking back about it, but the lighting design was by Natasha Katz, and who's done Aladdin and School of Rock and a billion other major shows, Tony Award winning Natasha Katz. Um, And her lighting design was just one of the most vibrant, alive things I've ever seen and it was so and part of it was just the colors they were so saturated and powerful and and specific and just they worked so well and I realized years later because somebody had asked me like Will what's your design influence and I was like I don't know I, I just like saturated colors and I was thinking I was like oh I've seen I've seen Adam's Family and I've seen like Aladdin and I've seen a few of these other shows they were all really saturated and I really loved them. I was like, who designed that? And I finally looked it up and I was like, oh, it's all the same woman. Um, so I guess Natasha Katz. So for any young designers that are like, I I don't know who I should model. Like, I don't know if there's anyone I want to model myself after. I highly encourage you to look into the work of Natasha Katz. She's a phenomenal designer um, who I've kind of molded my own process towards. Yeah. I was also just going to say you could look into the lighting design of Wilker and be inspired yeah, too. That's <laughs> true. Well, if you want to see what like Natasha Katz light, like super light looks like, you can uh, <laughs> go, to, go to my website, kerdesigns.net and uh, check out some very inspired work. <laughs> yeah. I love your lighting design, like projects in the future. Yeah, thank you so um, much. All right. So final five is technically speed round. It is rarely speed round, but we'll go with it. Um, one, what's your favorite show that you've designed so far? Legally Blonde at McLeod Summer Playhouse. You you wouldn't think it, but man, I love those drums. I just nice. love those drums. Uh, what's something you would tell your past and future self? Be okay with not having the answer. Mm. Yeah. like take the time to go look it up but like don't just walk away it's like i don't know and then walk away but like be okay to not know that second yeah that's a good one um what advice do you have for designers just starting out uh you know a lot of people will say like go big or go home and i like i don't know it's not always suitable and it's often like you're asking a lot of young designers so for me it's go for it and then be ready to pivot 
I like, mm-hmm. you know, you used the word pivot earlier and it's like so perfect. It's, uh, I was the speed round, but I, I basically have one, there was one show in grad school I did where I went, uh, it was, takes place in a Hobby Lobby, uh, break room, bright new Boise. And, uh, I went very literal and I tried to make it feel like a uh, Hobby Lobby break room. And you might think to yourself, that sounds boring and you'd be right. <laughs> uh, it was super like, oh man, the acting was really good in it actually, but I was not helping the acting. It looked, it was so boring to watch. And we were like, this was, luckily we'd gotten ahead on that show. And so this was like a couple of days before tech and I had basically queued the show and we were kind of looking at it during a, a rehearsal uh, and my my mentor said, what do you think? And I was like, I don't really like it. He's like, that's a good instinct. Um, and he's like, but you have time to change it. And so I ended up changing it. I pivoted and I threw color in everywhere because that is my go-to if I can help it. And I made every single scene, I gave every scene its own colors, uh, its own color and then built the rest out around that. And it just became alive. Like it was, it was just one of those insane things where it's like, I went really hard one direction, pivoted and went entirely back the other. And it just worked so much better. And so that was the lesson I learned from that is go for it. Don't be afraid to go for it. Be willing to pivot when it doesn't work. Yeah. I like that. Question four, what's the best thing about teaching and working in an academic setting? just the, it's that fire. It's that moment where, cause so many of my students come here, like so many of the theater students in general, they come here and they want to act or they want to act and direct, or they want to do something in performance because they don't know what, like they haven't given tech a chance or they don't know what tech, like me, they don't know what the tech can offer. Um, and it's the, it's that moment uh, I actually have a knack for snagging musical theater majors and like converting them. I I have several uh, that I have managed to turn into lighting designers over the years, and they like that more than musical theater now, or just as much. I won't say they like it more, but uh, it's that moment where it clicks for them and you see that passion born. Mm. And I think that's the thing that, and even when the ones that want to do tech, like I show them something that like really solidifies, this is what I want to do. And that moment for me, I like all the red tape and all the, all the hoops you had to jump through uh, to work in any kind of state government organization. It's all worth it for that one moment. Mm-hmm. Okay, question five. If you had to sum up the role of the lighting designer in one word, what would it be? Unification. Ooh. So for me, and this is kind of like, this kind of speaks to my own designing process. You know, I talk about how uh, I really don't get going super hard into a show until I see the designer run. And at that point, a lot of the costume stuff has been decided. A lot of the scenic design stuff has been decided. And I'm one of those people, I get a lot of questions in production meetings. It's like, Will, are you okay with this? Uh, is this going to mess with you? Or is this uh, like, I really want to do this. I hope it doesn't affect you. And my answer almost every time is, you know, unless it's a budgetary concern, my answer is all, almost always like, I will, I will adjust. Like mm. I can make, I can make it work. I get a lot of costume designers to come to me and say, I want to put this character, don't hate me, but I want to put this character in all white. And I'm just like, okay, cool. 
I have zero issue with that. Like if, if I can't like, yeah, it's a little harder, like it is harder, but like, if I can't work around that, then like, I can't really call myself a lighting designer. Mm. And if anything, like, you know, we've talked about, I like saturated colors and white is just something I can saturate. So mm -hmm. it's, you know, I just tell them like, it's not going to be white when it's on <laughs> at the end of the day, it's going to look kind of white with like lots of hints of purple and blue and, and all the colors. Right. And you're, and they're always like, yeah, that's fine. I'm okay with that. And it's like, great. Then we have no, no issue. But so like it, for me, it's, when we get to tech and we turn the lights on with the set, with the costumes, um, my role is to unify it and make those things feel like they're supposed to be there mm -hmm. uh, and make sure that my choices don't make the other things just look off. Mm. I love that. Oh my gosh. Thank you so much for chatting absolutely. with us. This has been awesome. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me. Thank you so much for tuning in. I hope you have enjoyed your time today. Please take a minute to press that subscribe button on iTunes, Spotify, Audible, Google Play. And if you liked today's episode, please rate and leave a review. It would mean so much to me and it helps more listeners like you find this podcast. You can connect with our guests and myself on social media. All of our information and more is listed in the description of this episode. I'm your host, Senya. See you next time.